Hey Star Wars fans, welcome to another episode of the Jedi Council podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm your host, Alex. As always and forever will be my colleague, best friend, brother in the force, Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. <laughs> How's things, mate? You alright? Very good. Very good. Thank you very much. Good, it's, good. it's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a very long time. We, we got together to do episode number one of the Jedi Council podcast uh, and we've been trying to get one stuck together but you know council members have been off world doing different missions and uh, trying to get everyone getting the band back together has been a bit difficult but we are back for, for episode number two uh, actually this is more of a special edition podcast I think would you not agree with that? I think it'll have to be. I do. <laughs> so the reason why we say that, listeners, is we are here to do our last Jedi review show. Uh, it's been a while since the movie's come out, and, and Dave and I have seen it. Uh, I've seen it twice now, mate. What are you up to? Have you just seen it just the once? I've still only seen it the once. And there is um, a reason for that. And, and without giving away, a, <laughs> I was going to say, without giving away a tone of my my. Um, love of the movie, I probably won't go and see it again at the cinema. Yeah, yeah, so uh, listeners, from the tone of our uh, introduction there and a couple of things you'll notice, uh, we are torn about the movie, um, more leaning towards one way than another and hopefully that will start to become uh, apparent during the uh, during the podcast. Is that, is that a friendly introduction? <laughs> I, I, I'd say that's friendly enough. So before we jump into our uh, into our kind of thoughts on, on the movie, a little bit of the tale of the tape. Uh, Last Jedi uh, is the third movie now, obviously, that Disney have released since taking over from the, the Lucas franchise. Uh, obviously, first movie being The Force Awakens, which is this is the, the sequel to, and obviously Rogue One. Uh, it came out officially or in December the 12th. So there was quite a few different locations all over the world that had the 12th of December uh, release date. Actually, let me correct myself. It's The 12th was the European premiere, I should say. Uh, and then the 13th was the actual official release date in places like um, United Arab Emirates, uh, Holland, the Philippines. Those guys got it nice and early. We in the UK got the movie released on the 14th of December uh, alongside Australia, Germany, other massive big uh, areas of Star Wars fandom. And then finally, uh, the 15th of December was when the, the United States and Canada got the film. And I think the last country got released was in, was in China, uh, where that was released on the 5th of January. Ironically, probably had the shortest um, uh, time frame in the cinemas as it was pulled after two weeks. And I think we're going to touch on that a little bit on, on how the film has been uh, interpreted across the world. <laughs> what do you think, Dave? Uh, yes, yes. I, I don't think it's had the best run in China. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, again, just a, a few bits of, of boring information about The Last Jedi. Currently, as of today, uh, we are Saturday the 28th uh, of January. It's made $1.31 billion globally. Um, so, while it isn't a financial disaster by any stretch of the imagination... I think from a fandom perspective, it's been incredibly divisive, and that is one topic in particular uh, we're going to try and cover today in, in the podcast uh, about that. It's the sixth highest grossing movie in the US of all time. Now, obviously, we are super fans of the franchise, uh, but I, I'm still surprised at that. What do you think, Dave? Sixth in, the, in all-time US grossing? I, I, that's just for inflation, I'm guessing. 
Uh, yeah, for inflation, yeah. Uh, sorry, no, that isn't adjusted. I've got some stats on adjusted as well, funnily enough. So, as is... Like I say, because, uh, yeah, uh, there'll, there'll be other movies that are probably have overtaken it if they were adjusted for inflation. Yeah, so adjusted for inflation, it's the 44th in the world. So, not not even top 10, not even top 20. Um, it, if you adjust it for inflation, it's the sixth highest Star Wars movie. Um, you know... When you when you adjust it for inflation, A New Hope is is number one. That's actually the second highest movie uh, grossing adjusted for inflation ever. Uh, Force Awakens uh, is eleventh. Empire Strikes Back is thirteenth. Return of the Jedi is sixteenth. The Phantom Menace, yes, the prequel, The Phantom Menace is eighteenth adjusted for inflation. Uh, so it sits above Rogue One, uh, Revenge of the Sith, and then you've got Attack of the Clones bringing up the the best of the bad bunch, which is. 95th adjusted for inflation. So, uh, you know, all in all, it's it's kind of six in that respect. But if you look at it as a, as a benchmark of movie-wise, it's number two from a Star Wars franchise point of view, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, uh, I, that doesn't surprise me, actually, the fact that it's not been as successful as some of those other movies. Well, yeah, I mean, the way that it's... It's kind of, again. I think we're jumping into it a little bit now, but nevertheless, it's a good place to start. In the movie itself is the most divisive Star Wars film ever, in my opinion. Now, I, I don't yeah. know if that's because of the invention of social media to get that type of reaction. I'm not entirely sure, but we all know the prequels had haters, the prequels had lovers. Uh, I think we both sit in that camp that we actually. I love the prequels. Yeah, I, I, they have a lot of flaws. I mean, you, you can't oh, yeah. say they were perfect movies. I don't think any Star Wars movie is a perfect movie, but they they probably had more flaws than the original trilogy did. But they were still they were still good movies. They still felt like Star Wars. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think they added to the whole storyline of the Skywalker yes. saga, which is what effectively this is, or, or the storyline was for the uh, for the first original trilogy and then the prequel trilogy it's a star it's the story of, of the skywalker bloodline um from anakin through to luke obviously um and that's kind of tied it all nicely oh, together yeah layer of course yeah and then even uh, dare i say the force awakened partly continued that process as well where you know that leia had ben solo with han and therefore that's another skywalker technically uh, and it's his continuation um whereas obviously now the last jedi yep. In in many fans' minds, I'm probably not going to badly assume that that this should have been the continuation of that, and I think it well, is. I thought it was. Yeah, I, I, maybe I don't I agree. Think okay, with... maybe, maybe we're jumping into into something here <laughs> straight away. But as as far as I was aware, this was the continuation of the Star Wars of the Skywalker saga. Uh, yeah, uh, it is for, without a doubt. You know, you've got. The story of of uh, Kylo Ren and his in, kind of relationship is in a bit more detail has gone into with with Luke, and obviously we know how he turned, and therefore it's that continuation. I think for me, I don't know. There's something missing in this particular part of the story. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. Um, maybe it is because of the way. They handle Luke as a character, and again, that's a massive story point that we want to jump into in a bit more detail. And it could be that I'm not entirely sure because now 
Uh, spoiler alert, guys. Yeah, so again, I should have said this at the start of the podcast. We are going to go massive into spoiler territory. Um, and if it's a bit late to a certain extent, but nevertheless, we are. <laughs> um, so if you've not seen the movie, press pause, go and watch it, and then come what back. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing, exactly. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, this, we are going to jump into spoiler territory. So by the end of the movie, we are left with one Skywalker, and that is Ben. Well, we assume it's he's the only one left. Well, so technically Leia at the end of the film is still alive, although oh. we know subsequently Carrie Fisher died. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot forgetting about that. Yeah, because that's the thought process, isn't it? It's how they're going to continue this into, into episode nine. Lucasfilm have already said that they're not going to be recasting the role. They're not going to be CGIing her. Um, so it does beg the question of what they're going to do with Leia. I've got a couple of thoughts on that which I'm happy to share if, if we want to go down that path now, we can wait. Uh, but you would have to take an assumption that in episode nine, Kylo Ren will be the last of the Skywalker bloodlines. Yes. And what, what's a final part of the bloodline? Yeah, and it's going to be when interesting. You, when you consider... Yeah, sorry, go on. I'm just wondering, it's like the, the saga so far has been the rise of Anakin as a paragon of, of goodness, the descent into madness and, and evil, the redemption through his own child, and subsequently the, 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 the I guess the brighter future the the galaxy has from that redemption yeah so now what exactly <laughs> it's a bleak galaxy out there <laughs> no it really isn't and i think this is like a really good segue into the whole uh point around us discussing the story so let's let's you know jump into into that straight away um, I've heard a couple of podcasts that have done reviews of this and they, they tend to go down the path of going through the, the story of the film, you know, from opening crawl all the way through to, to the end of the movie. Um, for you, for the listeners, we're, we're not going to go down that way. We're actually going to take it kind of like a theme at a time. So some of the themes we're going to hopefully try to cover today uh, are going to be the likes of the story, uh, some of the space battles, the hand-to-hand fight scenes that we have. Um, and then we're going to jump into a little bit more about what, what the positioning are of certain characters, uh, where they are or where they're not, where they're not anymore, as the case may be, as in alive. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and then one of the, the biggest elephants in the room is, is what they've done with Luke. Mm. So I think jumping into the story thing straight away, Dave, um, I'm going to hand over to you here for this, but what, what is your thinking? <laughs> I, might, I might regret it, but um, the story itself Okay. The story itself. Right. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> now, okay. Now, I think this is, this is one of the things that has caused such dissent amongst the, the fans. The fact that, to all in, intents and purposes, there are lots of the elements that make a Star Wars story a Star Wars story, and they were there. Um, 
the beautiful scenes that you you've always had in Star Wars, mm -hmm. the the transitions from one area to the next, the the um, the fight scenes generally well choreographed these days, um, the space battles again very strong. Um, very strong graphics to build the space scene and, and we've seen that done with both models and CGI. We've we've seen it, it yeah. evolve over time. And I think all of those elements were there. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think so superficially this was a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I, I like your but, term there, superficially. Um Yeah. I, and yeah. and for me I think that's what it was. The all everything should have been there, but it falls. It's spit flat. It's not a Star Wars movie. It didn't feel like a Star Wars movie to me. Yeah, and it's I, the first time I I saw. I think I've mentioned before. I I saw the original movie when I was four years old in the cinema in nineteen seventy seven. I saw that, and. I've had 40, well, now into year 41. <laughs> I've had 41 years of anticipating and looking forward to when the next movie comes out, of lapping up everything that Lucasfilm has given me, both both the highs, such as Empire Strikes Back and, and Return of the Jedi and Rogue One, and the lows, such as Jar Jar Binks, which I know is a personal favourite of your fellow. Do not curse Jar um, Jar Binks, mate. He's still one of my favourites. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, so, but I, I've still enjoyed it through that entire roller coaster. And this was the first movie, and and, and that goes that goes into the wider universe. When you look at the computer games that are around it, I, I first started playing computer games on the SNES. Um, with um, was it Rogue Squadron? I think um, wow. I remember playing Knights of the Old Republic. I remember watching the Clone Wars. I remember I did now watching Rebels, and the feel of Star Wars has always been there, and and this film just didn't have it. Yeah, yeah. I I must admit I've I've seen the movie twice. Um, and this is the first Star Wars movie that I've seen, and when I walked out the cinema, I thought, what have I just watched? That that was my instant yeah. reaction to walking out of the film the first time that I saw it. I, I messaged you straight away, and I said, I can't give you my honest opinion because I need to process everything that I've seen, yeah. and some of it was a good processing, um, not much of it. Um, but a lot of it was me thinking, what has he done? I, I was confused by certain things. I, me being the, the, the fanboy that I am, I was like, some of the stuff just doesn't make sense. Um, we've had seven story art Star Wars films depicting certain characters and the characterizations that they are. Um, even referencing to a few from a Rogue One perspective as well. And then some of the characterizations in this film, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and then I saw it a second time. Um, the first time I saw it, I saw it on my own. I wanted to get my own reaction out of the way. 
And then the second time I saw it, uh, I watched it with my wife. Um, and I enjoyed it a little bit more. I, I kind of went in there thinking, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to watch it objectively. But even then, I was talking about it afterwards. And a lot of the stuff that occurred to me first time around reoccurred to me second time around. And there were some other bits that I hadn't processed that after watching it the second yeah. time, I thought, oh, my God, it, that, that's really true. Um, and just to, just to kind of add an example of that, and it's something that we've discussed. And, and listeners, if, if you want to get Dave's full-on views of this movie, he has written a really good article uh, that is on the Jedi Council website. Um, highly recommend reading it. Uh, we've also got a counter view uh, from a guest writer, a friend of mine, Ali Clark. He's got an article in there. He absolutely adores the movie. He thinks it's one of the best ever Star Wars films. So this is the way the divisive nature of the film has uh, has occurred. So but jumping back to me, as soon as I saw it the second time, and I, and I, I think I messaged you straight away when, when I saw it second time, saying that the first... Re, uh, the first sequel movie, The Force Awakens, was heavily criticised by fans, media, whoever you want to call it, by saying it was a reboot, a rehash of A New Hope. And I think we can all agree there are massive amounts of similarities. The, the you know the mirror imaging of beats is is there from mm-hmm. the concept of having the new Death Star. I know it's Starkiller base, but nevertheless, it's a Death Star. Let's be honest. Um, all the way through. Yeah. You had the trench run. Yeah, yeah. You know, you had all that, and and it. But I think something you mentioned that it felt like a Star Wars film. Um, yet after watching yeah. this, the first. I, to be fair, I, I, I guess I can even, in defence of that movie, I can even see why it did do that. Oh, absolutely! Um, it had to re-engage I a did, whole new audience. Um, it had to yes. re-re-engage, if that makes sense, um, some of the older fans. Um, so therefore, it had yes. to be the one. The ones who didn't like the prequels. Yeah, and it had to make and it had to appeal to the fans that had seen it first time around, like you have, from like back in the seventies. Yeah. So that yeah. in itself was. But, a it, huge but it also task. had to reach a new audience. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. After watching this the second time, I've, I've picked up my phone and I've messaged you and I've said, "Why hasn't this got as much grief?" Uh, I think grief is probably the wrong word, but criticism is a better word. The familiar, the movie's basically taken Empire Strikes Back and the last and and Return of the Jedi and mashed it together. Um, this this hasn't been called out enough for me. I don't think. Um, I've read God knows how many articles praising the movie. I've read articles that are slating it, and this has only been referenced a few times. And as I've watched it the second time, I'm thinking we have literally got the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Brought into one, where on earth is he going to go with episode nine? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to be fair, to be fair, I might. For, for me, that smacks quite a few of the. the okay, I, I'll take a step back here before I say this, but um, I wouldn't class either of us two as as haters of the movie. It seems to be this case of you have, within social media at the moment, you've got this massive, um, you're either a lover or a hater of the movie, and you're either with us or you're against us. And I've never seen such so much abuse heaped on, on fans who voice an opinion. And I would say mm. 90% of the time that, 
abuse is actually directed at people who say they dislike parts of the movie. They've not they've not necessarily said they've hated the movie, but they've queried something about the movie. And there is scorn poured upon these these fans. Um and normally, and especially in the early days, but it still continues today, it has been things such as you're a butthurt fanboy. I, mm. I, the amount of times I must have seen that online, butthurt fanboy, oh, didn't you get the story that you wanted? Didn't you get the the uh, the, the Ray theory that, that you'd proposed? Didn't you yeah. get the Snoke theory? And it has nothing to do with that. It's the fact that there were there were fundamental issues with the story which got in the way of the story. And, okay, to, to, go, to move forward then with, with where I was, I was going to go with this, a lot of the critical acclaim that's come out about the movie is about the fact that Ryan Johnson has taken, this, taken the franchise in a brand new direction. He's released something completely brand new. And to go back to your point, Alex... This isn't brand new. Mm. It's a rehash. No, no less so than the Force Awakens was a rehash. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that 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 that, <clears throat> that element of it hasn't been kind of called out enough for me. Um, and yeah, I agree. It's not that I I don't hate the movie. Um, it's is it one of my favourite Star Wars films? No. Um, but it doesn't mean I hate it. it. It's Star Wars, so there's always going to be things about it that I will always adore. And even though Dave and I have mm. been a bit negative, there are things in this film that I think are, are great. Um, but nevertheless, I think the overwhelming feel from a fan perspective of being let down um, and not being yeah. coming out of the film feeling the way I expect to come out of a film, of a Star Wars film in particular. You know, um, I've mentioned this on, on another podcast that, we, that, that we've done, you know, I'm a massive fanboy of, of DC and Marvel. When I came out of watching Age of Ultron uh, from Marvel, I was, I was like, that was, a, that was a really bad film. And I, I, I happily admit that. But I think walking out of this, I'm thinking it's a bad film because maybe I've put too much expectation on, on my own view. I don't know. But nevertheless, it makes you think, oh, man, this is a bad Star Wars film. But there are still elements of it that I love. Hmm. And for me, I, I am a massive science fiction and fantasy lover, whether that's whether that was Babylon 5, whether that is Star Trek, whether that is Star Wars, whether it's such things as the Alien franchise, whether mm. we're talking about Lord of the Rings. I enjoy this genre generally. Star Wars is my greatest love of, of, of all of that area, but I do enjoy that type of movie, that type of escapism, that type of TV show. And for me... The, the the last Jedi was an okay sci-fi movie, yeah, but it wasn't an amazing Star Wars movie, Agreed. and that's what I felt. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good segue into to kind of dropping into some of these themes that that we're going to be talking about today. And I know obviously we've gone into detail about the story, but I think there are elements of the story that 
that we both like and, and, and obviously some that we don't. So <laughs> some of the some of the highlights that we, we've picked out that we, we're going to talk about today, guys, is things like, I think it's a good way to jump to the space battles. I think we touched on it earlier on of, of something that's great. And I think the space battles are visually stunning. They look yes. amazing. And there are elements of it that I think are great. So when you look, the, the, the introduction where... Poe goes toe to toe in an X-wing with that superstar destroyer, and basically just nails it by oh, the, the, the dreadnought. Yes, thank you, the dreadnought. You know, taking out the guns, going into it. I'm, I'm, I'll come back to the comedy element of that later. Um, not for a good reason, but that the visual, the visual way that that was done, um, kind of blew me away. And another thing with the space battles was. Kylo Ren going all Anakin Skywalker. So what I mean by that, mm-hmm. his scene where he's in his tie silencer is is breathtaking. The way that you see him pilot with his two wingmen, yeah, and it is brilliant. And he it totally reminded me of Anakin in the prequels. You know, everybody knows that Anakin Skywalker was this was awesome pilot in in Clone Wars. It's re-emphasized that he's this wonderful, amazing pilot. And Kylo Ren clearly gets it from him. This is the first time I've ever seen Kylo Ren. Like this, if memory serves correct, we didn't see him in a Tie Fighter, did we? In the Force Awakens, no, no, just in his shuttle, just in his shuttle. So I, I really liked the the way that they played that off of uh, off of each other, um, and I think they're the, they're the kind of standout moments for me, you know, in a good way with those space battles. The vi- the visuals were amazing, <clears throat> and and that that takes me back to the point that. Superficially, mm. it looked like a Star Wars movie. So while we did have the good things, and I, I'm going <clears> to <throat> hand over to you on this one, mate. Um, we we, oh, we, we a, had a few okay. problems, didn't we, with some with, with a couple of elements of the space battles, and one in particular. <laughs> yeah. Um, you articulate so, is much okay, better than so. I do. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So let's start with the, the big, the, the first part of it. So you've got Poe Dameron. He's removed all of the gun emplacements on the dreadnoughts, and then you have the um, bomber squadron fly in to deliver their payload. Um, I have issues with that scene. Um, okay, okay. First, first off, the, the ships themselves—they—they—they they, they look like they've evolved out of a B-wing. They look like they—they've um, got the legacy of the Star Wars universe. I'll give them that, and I, I think they've—they've they've got that look and feel of Star Wars. So, so you've got the superficial part there. He, he's ticked the box. Um, but how they're then used is is completely at odds with what you see within the Star Wars universe. You've, you've got um, a wing of these um, bombers um, gliding slowly across the top of the dreadnought to fly into position to deliver their payload, which which were bombs. Um, now, 
in in every other Star Wars movie, have you ever seen fleets of slow moving space aircraft that move in one plane that are not um, moving to avoid Tie Fighters that are not moving to avoid the gun, the the gun emplacements that may be on the the, the, the target that they're attacking. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't. That that's not the way that Star Wars battles work. If you watch B wing fighters, uh, bombers. If you watch Y wing bombers, they rotate around three hundred and sixty degrees. They don't have a fixed axis, and it's because they're in space. <laughs> You 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 don't have an up and a down. You don't have a linear plane. These things came in slow for a start. Slow. Yeah. You're in space. Come on. You stick engines. You strap engines onto something, and really, there's there's no. You, you don't have an upper limit of speed if you stick enough engines onto something. It's it's all weight to weight to mass ratios. And, and you stick enough thrust on something, it will move fast. So the idea that you've got these bombers moving slow and cumbersome, no. You, you've then got this linear plane where you've got a, a flight of bombers flying in, like a World War Two movie. Mm. You might as well swap them out for Lancaster bombers or, or the, the Stratter Fortress from the US. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. They were not... Star Wars bombers at that point in time. There were there were World War Two um, bombers flying over enemy territory, yeah. and you had the tail nosed gunners exactly the same, covering the slow, cumbersome aircraft. I'm sorry, no, that wasn't a Star Wars battle for me. Yeah. You have freighters. You have the Ghost in Rebels, and you have the YT freighter that is the Millennium Falcon. That, in a gravity well, is able to do barrel rolls and corkscrews. Yeah. So why have you got a bomber with no gravity, no air resistance, moving slow and cumbersome to drop a payload of bombs? Yeah. And I'm sorry. Yeah. When I was watching that scene in particular. Now, I did, have you, did you watch it in 3D or 2D? 3D. Yeah. Um, I Part of me thinks that they did this purely from a 3D perspective to, to kind of emphasise the enormity of space and whatnot. I don't know. It just felt like it, it didn't make sense. And to your point, using the Y-wings, the perfect example of bombers that are even TIE bombers. You know the way that they, yes. the, the way that they move, the way they distribute the payload, the way that they are. It, yeah, it, watching that, I just thought, you, can you hurry up, please? Um, now I don't. Again, maybe it was a story plot to build uh, suspense. Um, I don't know, but I'm thinking this. This is to introduce Rose's sister. Yeah, it, it was a plot hook to get that in to then get the Rose connection, which will again, I'm sure, come into in a, in, a, in a little while. But that scene in particular. Uh, uh, well, there's a whole thing about space battles around the, you know, the the dreadnought or whatever it was, trying to catch the the rebels after they escape and they can't. Uh, let's get into that in a minute. Um, but there's there's so much wrong about the space battles that doesn't sit well. And 
I know where you're going to go with the rest of this conversation. So I'm going to hand over to you again because, again, you articulate this better than I do. <laughs> you have a big problem with something else that happened in that moment. Yes. Uh, the, the gravity bombs. Um, and the important part to remember <laughs> this is the gravity bombs. Yeah. In the fact that you're in space. And as we know from Alien, no in space no one can hear you scream. But also in space... No one sees you fall because you can't fall. So the idea of a gravity bomb, the, the, the idea of having a payload of bombs which fall out of the bottom of a slow-moving World War II bomber yeah. field was... Brian Johnson just needs to make a World War II movie and get out of his system. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole bit... Oh uh, yeah, I uh, I was I was watching it, and just before the payload gets delivered, we see um, Rose's sister in the spaceship. She's got this remote that drops everything, and the bottom of the the bottom of the bomber opens. Now, first and foremost, in an aeroplane, when you open a door <laughs> mid-flight, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Um, so when you are in zero gravity and that happens, I would imagine a lot of stuff is going to happen again. Now, <laughs> it doesn't. Now, I know that there are ships that have gravity in the ship. I get that. But that's when it's in this concealed environment. This is not no longer concealed. It's the, the air pressure that would suck that out would be unbelievable. And then, but well, I'm, I'm guessing that they have some type of shield across the base of the bomber. A bit, a bit like the energy shields that you would have on um, a flight deck when you see ships fly in and out of, of, of bases or star destroyers or even the Death Star. You've got that shield in, haven't you, to stop everything being sucked out? Uh, yeah, I, I, but. It's reaching, but yeah, okay. But you, we're having to construct. But, but we're having to construct a reason for it to work. Yeah, and that's another. When thing you open that, your cargo bay, do, yeah. your bomb bay doors, and everything isn't sucked out into space. And I think that's something else that's coming out of this movie, isn't it? Is that this is a bit of a sidetrack? But Ryan Johnson, the amount of interviews that I've seen where he has had to explain things that have happened is unbelievable. <sighs> I don't remember JJ or even Gareth Edwards having to explain elements of The Force Awakens and Rogue One this badly because they didn't need to. No. And again, harking back to the story point, if somebody has to explain it to you over and over again, it's not a good thing. It's like when somebody tells you a joke. If you have to explain the joke, it takes away the humour. Um, similar to a story. Yeah. If somebody has to explain the story, they've obviously not delivered it the way that is required to get the message across. And, you know, the way... There's, that, there's holes. There are... Man, there's black holes. We're in space after all. Um, so, <laughs> And that's the only time in space where you'll have a gravity well. <laughs> Excellent. But, but it's true, you know, and, and this this kind of, I know that, I think there's in a, is it the Visual Dictionary um, or a book? I can't remember which one it is. Yes. They've actually tried to explain that explain the bombs it. were magnets. Really? Yeah. Really, so there's, um, there's magnetic plates that yeah. pulse to send the bombs downwards. Apparently, the the bomber drops um, like a 
and opposite to the magnet, it then drops the bomb that connects to the magnet and how they end up get, get, reaching their target. I'm reading this and I'm like, uh, you're, 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 you've obviously, I think the book was written after the film was made. Um, and I don't know if on yes. screening somebody's gone, um, excuse me, Mr. Johnson, what is that? That's really, really not right. <laughs> I could be, I could be completely wrong. I don't know, but it just feels like it's a cop out to try and explain it again. Explaining yeah. the concept of a film over and over again it just means you've not delivered the message right of what it actually means. I, I, I get the fact that I know a lot, a lot of people listen to this who did lo- love the movie and maybe even enjoyed that scene. They're probably arguing, look, this is Star Wars physics, and you don't get normal physics in Star Wars. Yeah, I get that. I agree with that. That that is true, but for it to be so different to what we have seen before, that's I think that's that's the jarring thing. So I think you're getting people who may be coming into this movie that have never seen the other Star Wars movies, and they'll enjoy it superficially on the basis that they don't have this wider appreciation, let's say, of what has happened in other Star Wars movies. Yeah. And that's what was lacking in this. It was almost a case of Ryan Johnson was was told, right, okay, go write your Star Wars story and just don't worry about it tying with what we already know about Star Wars because someone in the background will just write it in and make it work. Well, yeah, there, there was a comment that he made about... There was a comment about that. Uh, oh, <laughs> the Holdo was... manoeuvre, which is another issue. <clears throat> yeah, using, that, um, using the, the rebel ship as a weapon through hyperspace to basically cut in half the yes um, the ship of the the first order ship I can't remember the name of it but it was he, it was snow it, it was um, it was the, the the Radus which was the resistance ship yeah used as a hyperspace missile missile that's about it. word yeah uh, to destroy Snoke's um, flagship that's see that again. That that scene in particular, the way that it was delivered initially, I thought it was stunning. But then when when the music went yes. off and there was silence, I'm looking at it thinking, I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't ever imagine or remember a scene like this without music, without sound, in Star Wars. I could be wrong. Have to be, happily to be pointed out that I'm wrong. But when it happened, I thought this is what you get in Star Trek. This is yes. what you get in Stargate. I've never seen anything not quite like that yes. in Star Wars. And the fact that there was no music, not even background noise, not even nothing, it just everything just went quiet. And I thought, that's not Star Wars for me. Visually stunning, again. Yeah, visually stunning. It's amazing. Um, and again, uh, superficially. But yeah. I mean, I've, I've got other issues with that scene. <laughs> totally honest. Yeah. Well, um, carry on there, mate. Go on. We're talking about space battles, and this is obviously one of them. So go for it. This, this is. This is okay. Um, so you, you, you. Thank you. You've got. You've you've got this this history of uh, within within the the Star Wars universe. You've got twenty thousand years of of supposed Star Wars history. So in 20,000 years, you've had hyperspace. 
Um, now, I, I'm sounding like a, a massive geeky fanboy there, and I know <laughs> it's not real. So don't worry about that. But bear with me here. This, this comes back to the fact that Ryan Johnson has superficially delivered a sci-fi movie that is tagged a Star Wars badge on. Because mm-hmm. this was the, the, the idea that you've, you've got 20,000 years of of hyperspace travel. And no one in 20,000 years has used a capital ship, such as a cruiser or a battleship or any other form of, of large flying vehicle, as a guided missile. Nobody has used a weapon, a, a ship as a weapon in that way at hyperspace velocity. Now, in 20,000 years, you're telling me that there would be no warlike species that would have thought to use a vehicle as a weapon. Yeah, uh, yeah. and when you think, in, Re- in, 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 when you think Rebels in, is introduced, Thrawn, who is, <laughs> Thrawn is a master yes. tactician of the Chiss. He is well known as a art, or what's the word, artful Weapon. I don't know. I'm trying. Yes. I'm trying to try and find yes. the right Master. He, he, stu- he stood studying yeah. the art of warfare. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Brilliant. And he he can basically pull stuff out of thin air of what's going to happen and, and can read battles. And you're telling me that not even he has thought about that. And I'm thinking well, someone close to how many warlike species there yeah. are. Yeah. <clears throat> within the Star Wars universe, not one species has ever thought, you know what, if we yeah. fly this massive ship at another ship <clears throat> at hyperspace velocity, we will get through their shields and we will destroy them. Yeah. Why wasn't that used to destroy one of the Death Stars? If they knew that you shoot a, a hyperspace velocity vessel at a vehicle, it will destroy the vehicle. Yeah. Why has no one ever done that? You, you, you had, during the Clone Wars, you had entire armies of, sen- well, they weren't even really sentient robots, because they, they, they weren't sentient, they did whatever they were told, but you had entire armies of robots who no one give a fig about, mm-hmm. and everyone would quite happily have sacrificed. Why not just fly a few of their capital ships straight through important targets, such as... The, the medical facilities for the clone troopers that orbited Camino, for instance. Yeah. Conversely to that... If you if, knew... The, sorry, oh. what I was thinking is that in the Clone Wars, the clones were treated by uh, the Senate as tools. They were grown for yes. war. Why not have a ship that is piloted by some of yeah. them to do exactly what you're just saying about you know the uh, the robots. Uh, sorry, the droids, robots. Um, so yeah, it, there, there is so much that doesn't sit well about these scenes, and the bit prior to that as well for me was these are kind of like the failings of the first order. That, that's the way I tend to I tend to like to think about this is that we have got that ship. And they're basically just firing the rebellion ships until they run out of fuel. Are you kidding me? Well, I would say just just I would say just before we we go into that, you you'd actually pointed out that the, the reason that we'd end up moving on to this bit of the story was because Ryan Johnson had said in a, in one of his Ryan stories explains. Um, <laughs> 
he'd <laughs> explained like about the fat. It, it, it is. It is. It's, it's a weekly. It's a weekly episode of Ryan Johnson explains. Um, and on on this week's Ryan Johnson explains, I believe he explained that there was somebody back in Lucasfilm who'll just make it work. Yeah, he mentioned Pablo Hidalgo. His attitude was, was yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, his attitude is, because someone had actually flagged up the fact that, oh, no one's ever thought of, of doing the whole dome maneuver before um, in 20,000 years of hyperspace travel. And his argument was, oh, don't worry, because there's somebody in Lucasfilm who'll just, just write that into canon for me. And all of a sudden, you'll have hundreds of examples of this yeah. appearing in canon. And I think that that was the issue there, the fact that rather than trying to stick within the recognised rules of the Star Wars universe, his attitude was, I'm not bothered. I'm not really writing a Star Wars story. I'm writing a sci-fi movie the way I want to write it, and someone else can sort out the continuity afterwards. Yeah. And that that is the crass vandalism that I felt happened in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry. No, no, no. It's, uh, but then, it's spot on. You, you was on about the first order chasing. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, when that happened the first time I watched it, um, you know, the excuse that I think the the the, the pilot gave was their ship's faster than ours. Um, we can't yeah. keep up with them. <laughs> They've only got enough fuel to make one more jump to hyperspace and then they'll be out of fuel. Um, I'm sitting there looking and watching this. And yeah. I'm going, this is the first order. They have amassed a huge amount of, of, of ships. They have amassed a, a fleet. Why on earth? Haven't they just basically phoned, and I'll come back to why I use that terminology, why haven't they just phoned up another <laughs> captain Said to them, "Here's our coordinates. Go a, go a few clicks in front of the in front of us. You'll then cut off them, and then we can blast them from the other side." And I just don't. Wait, understand. Why not even just split your own fleet and send half your fleet ahead? Just just do a micro exactly. hyperspace jump. Exactly. And I'm thinking, okay, they're trying to use this as a plot device, but I think to, to link drag out the movie. It was yeah. the slowest. Space battle chase in Star Wars history. It was one of the slowest chases I've ever seen, and all all of this was to allow Finn and Rose to go to the other side of the galaxy to CGI City, get some random mm. hacker to then bring him back to then hack, and it just. I'm like, no, it just doesn't make any sense. The amount of failings in this movie from both sides, let's be honest, um, you yeah. know, Rose and Finn, they didn't get the right hacker. The hacker didn't succeed. Oh. The fa- you know, there are, I'm probably jumping, way jumping ahead here, but nevertheless, um, there are so many things that <laughs> fail in this movie. And I'm thinking, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and listeners, I'm hoping okay. you can hear the okay. despair we're in our voices here. I'll just say, just, just to go back to this, this, this chase scene, you, you've got, um, according to, I'm, I'm going to use Wikipedia as a reference here, but according to Wikipedia, which would have had its data from the various different um, canon books out there, you've got over 140 TIE fighters per Star Destroyer in the First Order. And and you've got the, the Radus 
being chased by at least 10 Star Destroyers there. So that's over a 1,000 TIE Fighters. So why have they... TIE Fighters have always moved faster than capital ships. Mm-hmm. So why not just flood? Why, why not just, 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 just fly thousands of TIE Fighters at the resistant ship? But you're missing a, you're missing a because, big point there, Dave. The reason why they can't is because they can't cover them because they're too far away. <laughs> oh, the, the, first, the First Order and the Empire before that treated TIE Fighters as a commodity. And it was yeah. just you just send out thousands of TIE Fighters. You, you, you'd already destroyed the Radis' flight deck, so the, the Radis has got no... X-Wings um, or anything. Aircraft. Yeah, no A-Wings, yeah, no X-Wings, it's got no, no fighter yeah. defence of its own. You, you've just seen that that's one TIE fighter, TIE silencer with Kylo Ren plus two fight, TIE fighters and managed to destroy the bridge of the Radis yeah. on their own. And you've got another thousand of these ships <laughs> that you can just pepper the re- resistance with. And you think, you know what? We'll just chase them yeah. really slowly. Yeah. It's yeah. just... Yeah, yeah. I know. Superficially, it looked like Star Wars. Yeah, and it, so you, so you you've got a First Order admiral there that is the thickest admiral <laughs> in history. Well, it, it's another failing of the First Order because it, it you know when you hark back to the the opening sequence of Poe in his X wing, um, you know as we touched on earlier, visually it was great. The, the way it was shot was fantastic. But the the captain says his X-Wing is too quick for our gunners. Okay, send out the send out the TIE fighters. Go after him. But by the time yeah. he then blows them all up, it's too late. And it's like, how, how have you not caught on to because this? That's, but that's, that's the way it's always worked. Because because if you, <laughs> if you watch um, A New Hope, if you watch... Uh, in fact, in A New Hope, you have Luke and all of the various different X-Wings attacking the very first Death Star, and you have on board the Death Star the the report by a subordinate to Tarkin that their fighters are too fast for our turbo lasers to target them. And so at that point, Tarkin says, send out our TIE fighters. Yeah. And we'll destroy them ship to ship. In fact, that might even have been Vader that said that. We'll destroy them ship to ship. So that small fighters cannot be targeted en masse by gun installations on a capital ship. And you've got a thousand of these <laughs> ships that you could just flood the resistance with. And uh, they didn't. Yeah, yeah. The you know, listeners, uh, you can probably hear the despair again in where we are with this and how we just, from our point of view anyway, we, it, there's so many issues that we have with these two elements of the, of the fight, of the space battle scenes. Um, and I'm sure, Dave, we can we could probably go into a bit more detail, but I think uh, that... that uh, well, 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 I appreciate we're probably belabouring this and, and for some people, they're, they're, your view is, but it was a great movie. There was a great story. Yeah. But if you've got fundamental things like this, which which slow down the immersion <clears throat> yeah. of a Star Wars fan, then it's not a good movie. Yeah, no, I agree. 
and I think that that talking about the way that they don't send out these um, the Tie Fighters in that opening sequence with Poe is a good way to kind of segment into the other theme that we wanted to talk about. There are many um, the the, hum, the the the, the humour stroke comedy or yeah. lack thereof that is forced within this movie. Um, I again first time watching it, I sunk in my chair when I saw Poe putting Hux on hold. That that just it didn't sit well with me. I, I was watching it going looking at the screen and I actually was talking to the screen. I think the people sitting around me in the cinema thought it was crazy because <laughs> I was on my own. And I'm like, what are you doing? This I, I understand he was stalling. He did it for a reason. I understand that. But you are thinking of a modern concept of keeping somebody on hold. And it wasn't yeah. funny. It was just cringeworthy. Um, I, I didn't find it any, yeah. I didn't find any humor in it whatsoever. You know, there's, there's a part of it where he calls him general hugs. And I'm like mm. that. I, I know he's a, he's a, um, he's cocky. He's, he's got uh, a swag about him for want of a better phrase. And that's the kind of character that he is, you know, at the start of, um, at the start of Force Awakens, when he's talking to, yes. to, uh, to Kylo yes. Ren, where he says, you know, who's going to talk? You're going to talk. Am I going to talk? That was funny because it was face to face, and I get it. But for this, it just didn't. But it, well. it, felt not, it felt natural as well, though. Yeah, exactly. This felt. This, this didn't. Yeah, and and I think that was just one prime example of the way the the comedy was introduced into this film as a what's the word I'm looking for? As a get out. I think that's a good way to say it. Um, that. That that opening sequence, I was thinking, oh, okay, this that's not a good way to start the film. They then cut to Luke and Ray, and I have a huge issue with this. This isn't the Luke that I know. <laughs> Ray handing over the lightsaber, Luke taking a hold of it. I like the way it continued from the Force Awakens. I thought the continuation was great. The way he looked at it, I was envisaging him lighting it, thinking, oh my god, this is my lightsaber but to then toss it over his shoulder and walk off. Flippantly. I was, I, I literally said in the cinema, even the second time, I was like, what is that? I, I, I was lost. And, uh, I, okay, and I was, I was, I was going to say, just, just before, again, the people that have enjoyed this movie, this isn't a pair of... Of I'll use the term, but her fanboys here saying that the story wasn't what we wanted. This is again in, in a situation where Ryan Johnson has not followed what has gone before. Yeah, Just blatantly ignored something because he found it funny or because he wanted to do it, rather than thinking, this is a story, this is, this is episode eight of nine, nine concurrent films that follow each other. This is not a standalone movie where I can do whatever I want with it, and there's no legacy and there's no history to these characters. This is a character that has been iconic in cinema history 
And it's had so much written about this character over 40 years. And Ryan Johnson ignored that history. Sorry. When, when he then did what he did with it. Sorry, Alex, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, yeah, you, you've got a point there. And I think that it isn't, maybe I used the wrong term. It wasn't what I was, it's not the, what I wasn't expecting. The, the way that, it's this, not what we know of yeah. Luke. This is this is Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber. This is the lightsaber that was given to him by Obi-Wan Kenobi at the start of A New Hope, saying this is the weapon of a Jedi. Now, I know you're going to get fans that are going to turn around and say, well, Luke said the Jedi must end, blah, blah, blah. I get it. However, this is still something that was his father's. The same father he saved, the same father he redeemed at the end of, a, of, of Return of the Jedi. The, the whole point yeah. of giving him that lightsaber, for me, again, maybe I'm term, using the wrong term, but it's a it's a welcome home. Again, that's probably the wrong term, but it's here is something that it, 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 yeah, it's, means something it's, to it's you. It's so personal to Luke. Yeah. And... The way that he just flippantly threw it over his shoulder, um, which is very... I said this to you before. Yeah. The, the humour in this felt like a Marvel film, but badly executed. Yes. Marvel films yes. are very, yes. very funny. I'm a massive fan of the Marvel films, yeah. and I actually enjoy the humour in them for the most part. Um, I, I love the recent Thor Ragnarok, for instance, which Thor, was yeah. possibly the most humorous of the, the Marvel cinematic movies so far if you yeah. if you ignore the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, agree. So so humour I don't dislike. And there's always this, been humour in Star Wars. Which misplaced humour. Yeah. And you know, uh, to reemphasize that point in that the Star Wars movies have always had humour. They have had one liners. They've had people get in, you know, cut down mid sentence because of a humorous comment. There has always been that, you know, um yeah. even in in Rogue One, where you have Darth Vader say to, um, what's his name? Uh, not Tarkin. Oh, um, yes. Um, don't choke Krennic. on your own, Krennic, thank you. Don't choke on your own ambition. There have always yeah, your been... Your own aspirations. Your own aspirations, Don't exactly. choke on your own aspirations. There has always been the one-liners. Which, which always, is a double joke. It's a double joke. Because he was choking him at the same time. That's what makes it brilliant. Yes. <laughs> and it's it, 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 the way that the humour was delivered scripted, whatever you want to call it, it just felt wrong. There was too many of it where it, it was too tongue-in-cheek and it just didn't sit well. Not with me yes. anyway. And again, superficially, it takes you out of the film because no. I'm looking at it thinking that no, just no. The the, the way that the, the flipping of the, sorry, the tossing of the lightsaber over his shoulder, having Hux on hold. Um, there were other yeah. comedic pieces yeah. where I'm thinking that's not really funny. Um, <laughs> and yeah. The, the milking of the sea cow thing. Yeah. Where Luke winks at the camera. Yeah. Talk about breaking down the fourth wall. Um, it's, yeah. It's one of these things. I mean, like when, when you take, um, in The Force Awakens, you always get, you get the scene with Finn drinking the water um after being out in the desert for so long, and the hopper bore is drinking it as well. That's yes. a, that's a funny way to have interactions with a a creature and a human. That that was really funny for me. 
But the way that Luke kind of just squirted that milk in that and then drunk it and just left it dribbling down his beard. I'm like, yeah. that, 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 you, you're like an old drunk man. Is that, is that really how you want to have Luke Skywalker, hero of the galaxy, perceived as an old drunken man drinking green milk? Seen that. Yeah. It, uh, that, that, that wasn't funny. Um, I don't know if that was intended to be funny or, or intended to be funny or whatever, but the way that it was portrayed and, you know, it, no. I, and, and the other thing... Again, is, it was, was this vandalism? It's character vandalism, yeah. And I think, I mean, we're on this now, so let's just jump into it. The way that Luke was handled as a character was not great. The, I, in my mind, there was two halves to this film from a Luke perspective. There was the bit at the end where we had Luke with Leia, the fight scene with Kylo Ren, mm-hmm. and his ultimate demise of giving himself to the Force because of what he did. That is the Luke that should have always been there. He, he was doing things that... Yeah. Luke does. He he saved the day. I don't mean to be quite quite stereotypical in that respect because he don't he did it obviously in 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 the in the uh, original trilogy. But that's the character that he was. And I know you're going to get people say, yeah, but he was you know he he'd seen Kylo Ren turn to the dark side. He was uh, he wanted to get out of the Jedi. Blah blah blah. Cut himself off from the Force and all that. But not okay. I, I, that didn't work for me anyway. I uh, agree because. Okay. That that isn't the message that you had coming out of the Force Awakens. And again, this this was a massive issue for me within a number of elements of this movie. The fact that you had part one of this trilogy two years ago, and in part one of this trilogy, there were a number of plot hooks that had been established and set up. I'm not on about. Um, um, fanboy theories here I'm not on about the fact that maybe we'd concocted ideas of where things should go these are plot hooks that J.J. Abrams have put into the movie that had been placed there so that when the second movie comes out the the director the writer of this story would take those plot hooks and craft them and take them forwards what we had instead was Ryan Johnson coming in and completely disregarding the plot hooks that have been put before him and and choosing to willfully ignore them and not even acknowledge the fact that there was a story before that he was continuing. Yeah. And an example of this is, is, is the Luke piece. Luke didn't flee to this temple in the middle of nowhere to hide. Luke went searching for answers because of something that had gone wrong at his Jedi school. That was the story that Leia said. That was the story that Han Solo said. That was what, at the very beginning of The Force Awakens, when Poe is given the map, or the first part of the map, the the discussion is that we're hunting for Luke because things are out of balance since he left. Mm -hmm. Not that he'd fled, not that he was in hiding, not that he turned his back on the on the galaxy. It was the fact that he'd gone there searching for answers. 
he'd even left the last part of his map behind in R2-D2. To be found. So all of that to be found. So ultimately, he was going to be found, and he knew he was going to be found. Yeah. And he, he'd not gone there to turn his back on the universe and let the galaxy burn behind me. He'd gone there to look for answers, to 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 combat, to turn around what had gone wrong. It, it's funny because as you as you are as you're saying that, that's something that hadn't occurred to me literally until you said it. At the end of the movie when he was found, they said Luke has gone in search for the last Jedi Temple and if you look at the canon and the stories that have come before it, the way that it's positioned, it was around maybe five to six years before the end of The Force Awakens, I think, give or take. So he's basically yes. been out of the picture for around five or six years. <clears throat> if he has gone to actually say the Jedi must end, to end the Jedi, to basically remove all trace of the Jedi ever existing, when he landed on... Act 2, or Act Toe, depending on how you pronounce it, why didn't he go to that tree and just burn it down there and then? Why did it Along take... Books. Exactly. So the books would have gone, the, the tree would have gone, yet he's obviously been living there for five years. And during that five-year period, he's obviously not got very friendly with those turtle nuns that live on the, on the <laughs> island. I can't remember what they're called. But they didn't like him being there. They were the protectors of the island, yet they let him live there and he didn't do anything to make the Jedi go away because he didn't even burn the tree down with all the books that were inside it. So if he really is going to end the Jedi, why is it taking the appearance of Rey for him to even think about doing it? Yeah. That's what I don't get. So the and why his, reaction, why his reaction to her? Yeah. When he knew that he would eventually be found. When this person turns up holding a lightsaber that he last saw when he lost his right hand. Exactly. And and the comment that he makes, why you? I get it. He, Some random girl that he doesn't know, or we're led to believe he doesn't know who she is. Um, yeah. And he, and he asks her, why you? Um, and I get that, because that, that would be confusing. You'd expect somebody to sound like Leia or Han or Chewie. And obviously Chewie arrives, which he then twigs that if he's here, but Han isn't, then when is Han? Uh, I get that. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's been there for five, six years, whatever that may be, protecting the Jedi Temple and the books that are in it. If you're going to end it, end it. Mm. <laughs> you know, his, we see his X-Wing yeah. in the water. It cuts to it. It shows the X-Wing. So we know that his ship is still there. Um, so he could have just easily ended it and then just bugged it he'd, off. He'd left R2 behind with the map. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just that, that portrayal of Luke just doesn't make any sense to the Luke we know, nor the way the story ended at the end of The Force Awakens. No. And this is literally supposed to be same day almost, or next day, from the end of The Force Awakens to the beginning of this film. That, that is a complete disregard, in my opinion, for what J.J. set up to the way that Luke should have been portrayed for the remainder of this trilogy or duology, if we're going to call it that. Yeah. 
So as you can see, listeners, uh, see, as you can hear, I should say, the, the Luke characterization, the, the way that he was portrayed, again, is something else that's taken Dave and I out of the movie. And the more you take your audiences out of the movie, the more you lessen the, the impact of what it's going to be. Um, and, yeah. you know, Luke does have his good moments. Let, let's not dismiss those. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. His his battle sequence with Ray, uh, not Ray. Um, actually, no, let's start with that. He, he has a one-on-one fight with Ray where they both use sticks. He summons the force to break the stick off and goes to his hand and they have a bit of a hand-to-hand combat fight. After that was great. Um and the way that he kind of stops himself from landing on the floor by using the force. Again, a brilliant way to portray um, Luke and his power. His mastery of the force. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we see, obviously, the, the force projection uh, of himself into, what was it, crate? Yeah. And when, when he just walks out in front of all of those walkers, I'm standing there thinking... He's either gonna he's gonna get his lightsaber out and battle away all the things, but when after they just continually bombard him, and then this is the one element of humor that I actually think drops well is when Hux turns around to Kylo Ren and says, "I think you yes. got him." I thought that was very good, and I'm yep. like, "Okay, that's funny." Um, but then when Luke emerges, but that, that's the but that's the type that's the type of humor that you get in Star Wars. Yes, it is those quick one-liners. That flow is part of what's happening. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's so not, well with me. Not I that like expect it. you to pause to listen to wait for the punchline. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like the it's not like the music stopped. Everyone just stopped and looked at Hux and went, then he delivered it. It was just part of it was it was an off the cuff remark. Yes. Um but then when we see Kylo Ren go out and address Luke. That scene for me is great. However, the one thing that I don't like, it goes very Matrixy. The bit where Kylo Ren goes to yes. cut him down and you see Luke sliding underneath the blade in slow motion. I think to your comment earlier on was that it's a good sci-fi movie and that was very sci-fi. It just, that, that, yeah. that, that was, it was good, but it wasn't at the same time for me. And that whole superficially, yeah. they both had lightsabers in their hands. It was a Star Wars yeah. movie. Superficially, it was right, executed slightly wrong. Yeah, and I think what was good about the whole sequence was that Kylo Ren didn't twig that Luke was holding the lightsaber that he and Ray had just split in half. Mm. Luke was obviously appearing to him in a dare I call it younger form. Um, because his yeah. beard and his hair was like he'd just been using just for men, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, which I get, he appeared to him in the last form that he recognised him, and I get that. Uh, and I said that was actually pretty good to be fair as well. But the way that that scene from a saber, the way the sabers don't connect again, that was really well done. Because obviously, if they had have connected, it would have gone straight through, and it would have given away the the plot that he's not actually there. Um, this scene in particular was good, but some of it wasn't delivered, to your point, mate, as I'd have hoped or wanted, I should say. Well, I, I think it, it wasn't executed in a Star Wars way. Yeah, it was executed in a sci-fi way. I think that was that's, that's the best yes. way to describe it. I think you're right on that one. Um, but again... It, think, it was close. Yeah. You, 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 you've got this... Um, 
it's 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 something. I'm, I'm going to go off on one here. Um, <laughs> you you've got this. You have an inherent mistrust of human-looking robots and androids, um, which is why whenever it's a Western thing, actually, rather than an Eastern thing, because in, in Japan, they quite enjoy having robots that look a lot like people and act a lot like people. Whereas in, in Western society, there's, there's a, a mistrust of robots that look too human. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually got a term, it's called a Frankenstein um, effect. And obviously that comes back from the, the Mary Shelley Frankenstein mm. when a, a almost human was made by Dr. Frankenstein. That was Frankenstein's monster. And it's it's the same with this movie almost. <laughs> this the, the Frankenstein effect. It's close to a Star Wars movie. All the elements are there, but it's not. And yeah. and the more the more things that are just that subvert you from the the, the proper Star Wars, the stronger the distaste of the movie becomes. Yeah. No. I- I think calling it a Frankenstein's monster of a movie is a brilliant way to describe it because it is. You've got the elements of Star Wars. There are things that work very well, but ultimately, underneath it, it's not in. It's not a proper Star Wars film. That's that's yeah. No. Um, I think you, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's a Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the title for the uh, podcast uh, sorted out. But um, no, and, and I think we kind of digress in there, um, and uh, you know, to, to different ways that we're looking at this movie. And there are quite a few more themes that I think we we're going to need to to kind of jump into to kind of yes. make headway because there are so many things. You know, we've already talked about Luke. Um, I think as we're on a character, I think there are many characters in this movie who are not done justice, in my opinion. You know. Um, yes, and I think one of the big things is the erosion of original trilogy characters, um, and that that was a bit of a big thing for me. You know, we obviously know Luke gives himself to the Force, um, and he was no longer with us by the end of the movie. Um, but throughout the film, there are original trilogy kind of elements that are just taken away, and the, the big thing for me, this is a really weird thing, is Admiral Akbar. His yeah. his his death was. I, I like that scene in particular. The way Kylo Ren goes in, um, the way he hovers above the button because you know he can sense his mother in there, and I, I get that. And I thought that was really good. And then for somebody else to do it, yeah, I he's, he's already killed his he's already killed his dad. Can exactly. he kill his mum? And the tension there, I thought was clever. I thought yeah, I that did, was I, really well I'll, done. I'll, I'll be honest with that. That was yeah. that was well done. But then the way that the bridge is is blown up. And then we just see Akbar gone. Oh, the the guy deserves better. <laughs> he is he's the hero of the rebellion from the Battle of uh, Endor. He deserves better, in my opinion. I just thought that was that was a terrible but he, way. He was he was he's even in the Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he helped um, bring about the the end of the separatist invasion of. 
um, Mon Cal. Yeah, when he was just a, he, w- he wasn't even Abrat Mob back then. I think he was just captain or even cap- general, captain wasn't he? Or something. Yeah. yeah, and you know the way that they got rid of him. So you've got a legacy. Yeah, mm. and it just completely disregarded. Um, and you know, obviously, and is this is this just is is this an out with the old and with the new feeling? Yeah, and I, I you know, is I, is this Disney just not wanting to have all this history anymore? Well, it, and, it, and wants to make it a yeah. new. It, it's funny because new thing. When JJ brought in all the new characters, I was a, I'm a big fan of the characters. You know, the all the actors mm. that portray them. You know, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega. Uh, etc. They portray their characters very well, and I like the characters that they do portray. The one thing yes. that there's clearly this. I love Oscar Oscar Isaac. I, I I I even drew myself as Oscar Isaac. You That's did, how much I enjoy his character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that the way that they've brought them in was good, but the way that legacy characters are being just disregarded, it, it, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to a certain extent, but it's also very believable. You know, I know Disney want to take it forward. And, and let's be honest, we touched on this earlier, that Carrie Fisher will no longer be in episode nine uh, because, well, she can't uh, for a start. Yes. Um, Disney have already said that they're not going to recast, they're not going to do a CGI. So we have to assume, and this is something that I touched on, this is my theory that will happen. I think episode nine will be set maybe five to ten years um after this film and the, the the title will read whatever the name of the movie is um blah 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 after the death of of general leia the way that they can fit it in in world mm. but not actually show her yeah. passing away um so i think that that's the way that i think they will handle this um and or they might even address it in the novelize, novelization. And when you look at the new novelization of, of The Last Jedi that's coming out in March, um, in the book, they talk about the funeral of Han Solo. Um, oh, okay. This is another thing. The amount of times I've seen on Ryan Johnson Explains, um, the amount of times I've seen him explain... Well, I didn't include that. I didn't include that plot hook that was from a previous movie. I didn't include that bit. And, and his argument is always because the pace of the movie and he wanted things to happen quickly and he wanted it to. So despite this movie following immediately after The Force Awakens, he couldn't even spare two minutes for the funeral of Han Solo. Well, that, 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 that's another interesting thing. Now, we don't know how long Ray spends on... <laughs> Act two, um, in her training, we don't know the gap in that respect. We know that the handing of the lightsaber is same day, effectively. If the whole story is same day, when on earth were they going to have his funeral? Is it before when? Because he died when Starkiller base blew up. Um, they then went back to the rebel uh, resistance base, I should say. Um, yeah, Ray then flew off. Was it in that period? Uh, you know, who knows? But nevertheless, I would have liked to have seen that in the Last Jedi because it's a meaningful character. Um, yeah. You know, ha- we don't even need Harrison Ford for it. To be fair, you just need like, a coffin or whatever. No. But yeah. you know, it would have been good to have seen that send off. We saw Luke's send off in, for want of a better word, 
Um, and we're not going to see mm -hmm. Leia's send-off unless, again, in a novelisation, they we, put that we in We saw Vader's send-off. Exactly. We saw Qui-Gon Jinn's send-off. Yeah. Obi-Wan went with the force the way Luke did. It was Those elements are, are, are great for fans, uh, in my opinion. Um, yes. I don't want an explanation. It's, it's the continuity. Everything, but yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so I think the, the way that they handle those legacy characters uh, is, is interesting. Um, and dare I say it, this is a good way in to talk about Leia. Yes. Um, I wasn't a fan of what they did, and we've discussed this separately, but I think you've got <clears throat> a very big gap in what has happened. Um, we know Leia is sensitive to the Force. I get that. We have seen it when, um, you know, when when Han dies, she felt it the way Obi Wan did when Alderaan mm. blew up. She is sensitive well, to you, the Force. You had it in Return of the Jedi because she knew that Luke was not on the Death Star when it blew up. Yeah, and she, and she even when you think it. about um, in Empire Strikes Back, you know, Luke is calling out to Leia to yes, come back and missing. get him. You know, there's there's that there's that connection, and I and I and I get it. She's full sensitive, but to be in the middle of space with no spacesuit on, um, following explosive decompression. Yeah, to be waking up to then use the force to pull herself back on board of a ship that's been completely dismantled and then be okay. I know she she gets put in like a back, not a back to tank, but like a, a medical bed or whatever. But nevertheless, yes. to, to show her using the force in that manner is completely out of character. We, I know we've never seen it on film yes. before. Um, and I, and I know that in the legends, um, all the EU books that were released, she trains to be a Jedi and she becomes one, but she, she doesn't fulfill her Jedi destiny, as it were, because she's too busy with the politics. So that's in the Legends books. Yeah. I mean, there's, we don't know if she... And, and you, you could assume that the same thing happens in the now canon, because <laughs> she pursues her career in in the Senate. Yeah. And of the new new republic, and that's the thing. There's, uh, so I mean, you're going to get the fans that are going to argue saying, "Well, we've never seen her do it before." But who says that she hasn't? And I get that. It just it felt really. Well, I remember. Uh, we, 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 yeah, well, you, you you had a Ryan Johnson's explain moment where he said, "Well, it's because the force manifested in that way when when she was put into that situation." Uh. Oh. That's such a lazy excuse. It's a cop out. And such a lazy before. excuse. So she, so all of a sudden she's able to do something when she's got no oxygen to breathe. She's just been blasted out of out of an uh, an explosive decompression situation. Yeah. She's disorientated. Um, she's not young because she she is in her sixties when this happens, so she's frailer than she than she than than a Jedi in their um, elite yeah. position would be. Yet she's got enough wherewithal about herself to be able to connect with the Force 
to be able to suspend her own breathing, to be able to drag herself back into the ship. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you, it's, you, 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 oh. I, I, yeah, and the thing that made me laugh with that was the way that they actually CGI'd her doing it. That was terrible. Mary Poppins. Statue of Liberty. I'm going out. Superman, whatever you want to call it. Um, but she just needed a, a, a brolly in her hand. When it, it's funny, when when yeah, yeah exactly, and, and a bag. Um, when when that yeah. scene happened in the film, the first time I watched it, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at it, going, so this is how they kill off um, Princess Leia, and I thought, I'm yeah. actually okay with that. She was in the middle of a war. She was doing what she was doing, leading her troops. And that, for me, was a good way for her to go, in my opinion. And, and, and what they could have done on the back of that would have been quite nice with Kylo Ren then being in two minds. The fact that he didn't pull the trigger himself, someone else did. Exactly. His mummy's still dead. Yeah. And that's the thing. It would have been a great way. And... Uh, and then her fingers start moving. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, no, no, no. How is she surviving this? Um, and people have tried to explain Jedi being in space without a suit before. There's an episode in Rebels where Kanan is exposed to space and he hasn't got a, like any like, breathing apparatus. Season, season three, Darth Maul kicks him out into space for an airlock. That's the one. But he knows it's coming. He's able to prepare himself. And yeah. he's a trained Jedi at that point. Exactly. And... You know, and I'm thinking that's a very different scenario to what we have here. Um, and yeah. it, just, it just didn't sit right with me. I, I just wanted to, I, if, I, if I hadn't have paid for this, I would have got up and walked out at that point in time because it was so utterly ridiculous in my opinion. Um, that's genuinely how I felt you, about it. You've also got, would, would, she pulls herself back to the spaceship, goes back through the, the broken bridge because that's the only way back into the ship. But then she she's pounding on the door and the door gets opened. Yeah. So why doesn't vacuum suck everything out of the ship at the point where they open the door? And uh, yeah, well, clearly vacuum of space doesn't exist in Star Wars either because you know the the, the piece with the bombs at the start. Well, you just the bombers, see, but, like... but you've just well, you've just seen the vacuum of space suck out <laughs> everything out of the bridge yeah, when yeah. Princess Leia was sucked out along with um, Admiral Akbar. Yeah. Yeah. So they, 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 they use it to its benefit one hand and then completely disregard the concept of the other. And forget about it. Yeah. yeah, it's um, an interesting way to go, I think. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so the way that they handled Leia was odd in that respect. And I know well, that you... Well, there, was, there, was, there was another scene with Leia that, yeah. that for me, was wrong. Um. You, you've, and, and I suppose this ties into Poe as well, and and also a wider aspect of the way that they they seem to treat male characters in this movie. Um, you've got the scene after Poe Dameron has just destroyed um, all of the um, turbo lasers on the dreadnought. The the bombers have just then done their their swan song and destroyed the the dreadnought. Pose them back on the Radus 
the, the uh, resistance cruiser yeah. and Leia berates him in front of other people and then strikes him tell him that he's wasted money he's, well, he's wasted men and material and, and he's achieved nothing it strikes him yeah. it's like Princess General Leia at this point she's in her 60s she is um, she's got enough force awareness to be able to use the force to drag herself back into a ship. So she is she is she is at one with the force to some extent. Um, she's a politician for the last fifty years. Since she was a young girl, she would have been a politician in a dad's court. She was then. Um, a covert operative of the the nascent rebellion. She then became a member of the Senate. She then became a general in the resistance. She's a leader of people. Yeah. And how many leaders of people strike a subordinate in front of their fellow soldiers? Yeah, I, I'm sorry, but that that was out out of character for a princess, a general, a politician. Yeah, and it, she's been in trickier situations where she hasn't done anything like that either. Um, yes. So again, and and she berates him for being a hot headed fool and for being an idiot. She was married, and yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, well, this is the guy who almost single-handedly destroyed Starkiller Base. So I'm sorry, but he's got some kudos still for that. Yeah. He has just laid the groundwork to allow the the, the uh, resistance bombers, um, the, the you know the, the the Lancaster bombers, to to go in and destroy the dreadnought. So fair enough, all of those bombers were destroyed, but in so doing, it destroys the dreadnought, which on its own was a ship capable of picking off one by one the resistance ships. So her triad at him, she lays into him about the fact that he's wasted what the bombers, but surely by him wasting the bombers in that way, just allowed the resistance to escape. Yeah. And also in, I can't remember what novel it's in or one of the comics, but, it's referenced that Leia, uh, one of her like hands, I think is the right term, uh, was Poe Dameron's mum, and mm-hmm. he, yes, he yes, grew it up was. Um, oh, and his his dad was one of the fighters that accompanied Luke in to reclaiming the tree. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's like there's that connection between Leia and Poe that goes beyond military. It's it's very personal. Yes. Um, so again, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, it just seems so out of character for her to have done that. And even to, if she's unhappy with him, yeah, yeah. Even if she's unhappy with him, she wouldn't strike him in yeah. front of other people exactly. and tell him how much of a fool he is. Yeah. Now, I mean, you're going to get people that will argue that yeah, it was all to do with the plot because Holdo had this great escape plan. Blah blah blah, and. I kind of I don't get that as a as an excuse either. To be fair, um, but it's a lazy story. It's a lazy story where Ryan Johnson has used bits of the story to allow other bits of his poor story to work. Yeah. But 
by using poor plot hooks earlier, it brings into question other aspects of the movie. It does. It does. And, yeah, it's just one of the other things in this film uh, that kind of didn't sit well. And, listeners, we've been going for almost an hour and a half now on uh, talking about this film, and we're not even close to finishing up. Um, Dave, (laughs) with, (laughs) with that in mind, I'm thinking we do a part two. I think we. I think we'll need to. <laughs> I'm thinking we could end yeah. up going into a yeah. part three uh, as well. The way things are going, <laughs> um, but nevertheless, I think this has been uh, a good hour and a half conversation that we've had. Um, you know, guys, just to try and give you an idea of some of the stuff that we want to go into in, in the future um, uh, episodes, we need to talk about Captain Phasma. Uh, we need to talk about Snoke. Yep. There is a huge conversation to be had about Snoke. Um, we've not even touched Canto Bite. Uh, the amount of beef I've got. Oh, I don't seen. want to touch Canto Bite. Uh, oh, God. They, no, I think they've touched up Canto Bite way too much because it's gone down the prequel route from a CGI perspective. Unbelievable. Um, we've got the whole yes. Rose and Finn relationship to discuss. We even need to go into the detail of a very small thing of Chewie not eating that bloody pork. Um, (laughs) another element for me for the failed comedic timing of this film Um, but Dave I think that's a good place to wrap up Um, you know it's been a wonderful hour and a half I know we've obviously gone through a hell of a lot and we've still got loads more to go but any closing thoughts from yourself on The Last Jedi (sighs) maybe we shouldn't even go down that route because we've still got so much more to say (laughs) We have, we have, we have. Okay, I, I would say, okay, people listen to this, you're probably thinking we're not the greatest fans of the movie. Um, but I would, I would bring this back to my opening comments about this. We're not haters of the movie neither. Yeah. And because we've got this opinion about what, where the, the film didn't quite work, it's not because we didn't understand the bigness of the movie and how critically great the movie was. I think it was the fact that this, this film was not made as a Star Wars movie. And I think that's, that's the overriding. The more, I, I never actually realised I would say this as part of this, but the more we've talked about this, the more it just keeps coming back to the fact that Ryan Johnson has made a, an okay sci-fi movie Mm -hmm. and stuck a star wars logo on it yeah i agree it's funny when you have conversations like this um and i've spoken to a few people that find the film good and and are incredibly positive about it um but the more i hear them talking the more that i start to talk about it in in the way that i feel i feel disappointed um yeah I, i don't yeah i don't dislike the film there are elements of it that I don't like at all, but I don't hate the film. Like I said at the start, it's not my favourite film that Star Wars have ever made. Um, and nevertheless, there are still so many things that are wrong with it that it, I find it hard to really accept some of the stuff that Ryan Johnson tried to do because it just doesn't feel like a Star Wars film. And if I get hate about this saying I'm a fanboy that whatever fine everyone has their own opinion on, on a variety of different things and this is just my opinion um 
and I think that the film itself, I don't know, maybe I'll watch it on DVD and think it's great, doubt it. Um, but nevertheless, I'll, <laughs> you know, maybe Blu-ray even. Uh, but nevertheless... Well, it, I, I was going to say, what, what, one of the things that I keep hearing said is the fact that, well, this, this is a Star Wars for the next generation. And, okay, I, I, I get maybe that this is this this has been there's been some deliberate lines drawn under the past when we did this movie. And I get that maybe that was the, the reason why Admiral Akbar died the the way that he died. And I get that. But your your core Star Wars fan base, I would say, falls into a category probably from a mid mid no, early late 20s let's say through to about 55 year old yeah i would say that is your core fan base of this of this franchise of the whole franchise and these are the people that have grown up with the story evolving the way it's evolved these are the same fans who are so hooked into the movie that they've introduced their their descendants their children into the franchise these are the same moviegoers who would watch the movie, who have the money to watch the movie repeated times. Yeah. These are the same fans who collect the memorabilia, who collect the merchandise. And I think we need to cover off all of that at some point because I think there's been big implications with this movie that Disney need to be aware of going forward. Because we we have been all of this fan that have kept the franchise alive, even when Lucasfilm and now Disney were not doing anything with this franchise in the dark times. So, yeah. So, <laughs> and I'm not saying that we that we are privileged and that we should be catered to because of this. But what I am saying is, you're doing a very risky thing to mm. ignore this fan group. To try and engage with a different type of fan group, when really what you should be doing is more of the same, which you know works. This works, and if you go back to the fan, uh, the, the uh, Force Awakens, this method of putting together a Star Wars movie works, even with the new audiences. Agree. Even even Rogue One completely different way of doing it but he intrinsically felt like a Star Wars movie oh I love Rogue One <laughs> sorry yeah exactly but so do my kids yeah and my kids love The Force Awakens have, they, have your kids seen this so, yet and my kids I've not let them yet <laughs> so that's, that's another thing Disney that's another thing you, you're you're preventing or I'm, I'm preventing my children from watching this new movie because I was so disappointed. Yeah. And this isn't the Star Wars that I've introduced my children to. Yeah, that's an interesting thing and, there. And yeah. yeah. And those, those are the fans that you want to pick up this Star Wars movie and, and enjoy it and love it because those types of fans are the ones that in 10 years from now will be buying the merchandise, will be going watching the movie multiple times when they can actually afford to do it themselves rather than be taken by their dad. Not the way we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas 
by turning off this type of fan to say, well, we're trying to engage with a brand new fan base. You don't want a brand new fan base. You want your existing fan base to evolve with you and to introduce new members to the fan base. Absolutely. And I think maybe that isn't happening because we're seeing merchandise numbers tumble and that's being put down to fatigue perhaps, mm. possibly. Yeah. You've also got the largest drop in a Star Wars sequel ever. And I'd say that's because people are not going back in the same way that they did yeah. with previous movies. And, and I think that goes back to the final theme that we need to kind of add to the next episode is again, deep diving into the divisiveness of this film. Um, Good or bad, yes. um, there's been a lot of kick out of, of negative, positive things about it, and there are a lot. There's a lot of hate on social media. Let's be honest. Um, and again, I think we need to address that in part two or three as yes. <laughs> as the thing we're going. Uh, what do you think? Definitely, definitely. I, I think it's such such an important thing that has come yeah. out of this. Yeah. And on that bombshell, <laughs> um, I think that's a great way to wrap up today's episode uh final words from you dave frankenstein's movie <laughs> i'm gonna roll with that next time i start describing it to my friends um i think final thing for me is we are the jedi council uh we are here to discuss everything and anything star wars um we are fans as you can probably tell uh guys this is episode two or a special edition i'm going to stick with that for now part one of our review show for uh the jedi for the last jedi um to try and find us, we are on uh, no, we're on we're on Twitter. We are at the Jedi underscore Council on Instagram. We are at the underscore Jedi underscore Council underscore TJC. Uh, we are online at www.the underscore Jedi underscore Council dot com hyphen hyphen brilliant the hyphen Jedi hyphen Council dot com. We're trying to get everywhere and anywhere. Get in contact with us, guys. Once you've taken the listen to the show. Hit us up on social media. Let us know your thoughts. We try to interact as much as we can. Um, good or bad, if you disagree with everything that we've said, we want to hear from you. If you agree with everything we, we said, we want to hear from you guys as well. Uh, we're here to interact, and hopefully you can, you're going to join us again for part two in the coming weeks. And on that, guys, we'd just like to say, may the force be with you, and we will see you soon. Remember, the force will be with you always. Cheers.